It's Monday, September the 6th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Taliban holdout offers peace and Zuma released. First, the world in brief. Ahmad Massoud, the leader of the National Resistance Front in the Panjshir Valley, the final holdout against Taliban rule in Afghanistan, said he is ready to negotiate a peace deal. After days of heavy fighting, the Taliban claim to have captured the province, although the NRF deny they have been defeated. Several reports suggest that Fahim Dashti, the spokesman for the resistance forces, has been killed. Jacob Zuma, South Africa's former president, was released from prison on health grounds after serving just two months of a 15-month sentence for contempt. Mr Zuma is in hospital, recovering from surgery for an unspecified illness. He was sentenced in July after failing to appear at a corruption hearing. His incarceration sparked weeks of unrest. His corruption trial is due to resume this week. An army colonel claimed on state television in Guinea that soldiers have dissolved the government and seized control of the West African country. The whereabouts of President Alpha Conde are unconfirmed. The apparent coup is thought to have been led by Colonel Mamadi Dumbuya, the head of the country's special forces. However, the defence ministry said that the shooting was an attack on the presidential palace which had been repelled. Total Energy signed a deal to plough $27 billion into oil, gas and solar production in Iraq over the next 25 years, claimed to be the largest investment in the country by a Western firm. The French giant will spend $10 billion on infrastructure and hopes to alleviate Iraq's acute power shortages. It is swimming against the tide though. Other Western firms are snubbing the country. Two opinion polls in Japan showed Kono Taro, the vaccine czar, would be the public's favourite to replace Suga Yoshihide as Prime Minister. Mr Suga, who resigned on Friday, may also back Mr Kono. The Liberal Democratic Party will vote for a new party president on September 29th, who will immediately become Prime Minister and must lead the party into elections in November. A World Cup qualifying match between Brazil and Argentina in Sao Paulo was abandoned after seven minutes when health officials came onto the pitch saying that some players had flouted quarantine rules. Four England-based Argentine footballers are accused of sidestepping Brazilian regulations requiring 14 days quarantine for those who have recently been in Britain. G7 countries will have up to 1.2 billion surplus COVID-19 vaccines by the end of the year according to a new report by Airfinity, a life sciences data firm. If the spare doses were available in poorer countries, between 1 million and 2.8 million lives could be saved. Less than 2% of adults are fully jabbed in low-income economies, compared with 50% in high-income ones. And fact of the day, 11.3 billion. The number of COVID-19 doses needed to fully vaccinate 80% of the world's population above the age of 12. This year, about 12 billion will be produced. And now, here's today's agenda. Two decades on. Commemorating 9-11. 20 years ago this week, Al-Qaeda terrorists commandeered and crashed four American aeroplanes, killing nearly 3,000 people. The tragedy reshaped America, its allies and the Middle East. 
It led to wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the second of which concluded only last week. President Joe Biden will visit the sites of the attack on Saturday. Ground Zero in Lower Manhattan, where the two towers of the World Trade Center once stood, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where a plane terrorist meant for the capital crash-landed in a field. Some 1,800 survivors and loved ones of victims had accused Mr. Biden of reneging on a promise to release the findings of a government investigation, which they think may reveal the complicity of Saudi Arabia. Most terrorists were Saudi, though the kingdom denies involvement. But last Friday, Mr. Biden ordered the review and declassification of documents within six months. Now he will focus on honouring those lost. Trial by Ordeal Aung Song Suu Kyi Aung Song Suu Kyi's trial resumes this week, having been suspended because of a surge of Covid cases in July. The de facto leader of Myanmar until she was deposed in a coup in February, Ms Suu Kyi has been charged with 11 offences, ranging from violating Covid regulations to corruption. Now 76, if convicted, she faces almost as many years, 75, in jail. The charges are politically motivated. The military junta seems bent on trashing Ms Suu Kyi's reputation and dissolving her political party, ahead of elections they say will take place in 2023. If those elections are conducted fairly, which seems unlikely, the prospects for the General's Proxy Party would not look good. The army is battling civil unrest and long-established armed militias across the country and has probably committed crimes against humanity, according to the United Nations. More than 1,000 civilians have been killed since the coup. Many thousands more are in prison. Nearly 560,000 Burmese are displaced from their homes. A bug and a feature. Insects for animals. From tomorrow, the European Union will allow insect protein to be included in chicken and pig feed. The move is a huge boost for the insect industry, which wants to offer an alternative to proteins such as soya and fish meal, both of which are significantly more damaging environmentally. Poultry and pig feed are by far the largest animal feed markets, but they are also the most competitive. Because insect protein is more expensive than fish meal, and much more so than soya, sellers will have to work hard to persuade buyers to make the switch. Luckily for them, research suggests that insect protein offers several benefits, boosting growth rates and animals' immune systems as well as filling their stomachs. Scaling up production will also help. Rabobank, an agricultural investment bank, predicts that insect production will reach 500,000 tonnes a year by 2030, up from just 10,000 tonnes currently, and that prices will tumble accordingly. Lush while it lasted. America's unemployment aid. When layoffs spiked as the pandemic took hold, Congress was uncharacteristically generous, enhancing state benefits by $600 a week, later reduced to $300, extending the time limit on claims and including the self-employed. One in four workers benefited from the $794 billion paid out. Many were better off than when they had jobs. That extra support ends today, when an estimated 7.5 million people will lose some or all aid. 
Progressives tried to get President Joe Biden to extend the program. Conservatives, meanwhile, argued that it disincentivized job seekers. 26 states, mostly Republican-led, stopped the enhanced payments over the summer. It made little difference to employment numbers. Despite weak hiring in August, America's labor market has improved significantly from its COVID nadir. The unemployment rate fell from 14.8% in April 2020 to 5.2% last month. Still, nearly 6 million Americans who had jobs before the pandemic remain unemployed. Their lot is about to get worse. Waiting for tomorrow. A youth. Recently, the world's eyes have been fixed on Afghanistan and the plight of the people trying to escape as the Taliban retake control of the country. But less attention has been paid to Afghans already displaced to far-flung places. A Youth, a short documentary with its premiere on Al Jazeera English Tonight, tells one of those stories. Payman is an Afghan teenager seeking asylum in Greece. Obsessed with rap music, he passes his time in the bureaucratic limbo of Athens, strolling around the city with his friends, sharing dreams about the future and scribbling poems to express his feelings. Payman and his mother are hoping to join his brothers in Austria. They keep telling me we'll notify you tomorrow, he complains, of the immigration authorities. Tomorrow eventually stretches into two years. In recent weeks, many Afghans' priority has been getting out of the country as quickly as possible. Finding new homes will take much longer. Summer Quiz Week 8 It is the last chance to beat our baristas in the Summer Quiz. For Week 8, we'll again serve up a daily question. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm BST on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Monday. Which baseball team are the current World Series champions? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Margaret Sanger, who died on this day in 1966. No woman can call herself free who does not control her own body. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.